0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, solar warrior. Here we go. This is 2 for Tuesday. Whether that's a Tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short-form conversation, typically, with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. And grow with us here on Suncast, as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember... You can always find the resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations in the blog at mysuncast.com. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast.
1: And hello, everyone out there. This is Christian Roseland, U.S. Editor at PV Magazine. This is the Podcast Lounge, sponsored by Radiant Reit, and produced by Suncast Media. It's uh, September 26th, and I'm joined by Rosanna Francescato of the Clean Coalition, and we're going to talk microgrids. Rosanna, thanks so much for joining me.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we've talked a lot over the years about the work that Clean Coalition has done. Um, certainly, it, you know, it's an interesting development from the initial advocacy for the feed-in tariff contracts, rebranded clean contracts, uh, to really becoming a, a technical... Expert that's able to provide in-depth knowledge about uh, behind-the-meter energy resources to now it seems like microgrids are such a big part of the work that you do. Uh, Can you tell me about how that evolution came about and why microgrids are an important area of work for Clean Coalition?
2: Yeah, so we still do policy work. And the microgrid work that we do, designing and staging community microgrids, really informs our policy work because we see what hurdles we run into. And so the Clean Coalition, as you mentioned, started out advocating for feed-in tariffs. And we still do that. We still design feed-in tariffs. And we really focus on wholesale distributed generation, or WDG, which is commercial scale solar and storage for the most part. Now, that is a woefully underserved market in California and a lot of the United States, and it's the market that propelled Germany to become a solar leader with way less sun than we have. So that has been our focus and continues to be. Now that storage has become more prevalent and also more affordable, we've added storage to the mix. And what's really propelled the move to community microgrids is the need for resilience. Now, There have been increasing natural disasters around the country. And in California, we've had some really disastrous wildfires. So that's led communities to really seek the resilience that you can get from locally sited solar and storage, and in particular, from microgrids. Now, I should probably back up and mention what a microgrid is. There are so many definitions of microgrids, but the main thing is that you have Energy generation, and in our case also storage, that's important, that can island from the larger grid. So there can be all kinds of different scales of microgrids, but what we're designing is community microgrids that can serve an entire community. And ideally, these would be on a distribution substation area distribution grid area that could encompass one or more substations. And ideally, the microgrids could be connected and sharing energy with one another and with the community. That's a little bit hard to implement now because it takes utility cooperation. We are working really closely with utilities and that is forthcoming. But what we're doing now to prepare for that ideal that we would like is designing facility microgrids at individual Facilities, And that can be anything that's critical to a community, like a fire station, a hospital, a water department, communications infrastructure, and sheltering facilities,
1: like a school. So it's going to serve the whole community. So let's take a step back here, and let's talk about what microgrids are. Because, I, you know, even though this is a term we use a lot, I'm not sure that all of our listeners or everyone out there really understands a microgrid. I remember when I first heard about it, I thought, well, so... What is this? You have a smaller grid that disconnects from the larger grid? Yes. And why would you want it? Why primarily would you want to be able to do that?
2: Well, you want to be able to isolate from the larger grid because the larger grid is so vulnerable. We have a very centralized energy system in this country, and we've seen that our transmission lines are really vulnerable. And that's happened in California with transmission lines actually causing wildfires. Now in California, we have the added danger of a risk I should say of the public safety power shutoffs where the utilities are trying to mitigate the wildfire risk by shutting down some transmission lines when conditions are really dry, hot and windy and there's a high risk of wildfires. And around the country we have, you know, hurricanes, other disasters. There's the danger of cyber attacks to our grid. It's just really vulnerable and aging. So creating a smaller grid that can island from the larger grid means that, you know, with your local energy generation and storage resources, you can keep these critical facilities going, uh, you know, online indefinitely. So, which is amazing. Yeah. And, And, you know,
1: so when I, this is interesting that you talk about reliability, because I feel like as someone who's been covering solar, and the energy transition for a decade. The thing that we heard over and over again, the big cunard was, oh, you can't move to solar and wind because they're not reliable. But the funny thing is, is that then when I look at the data from nations that have a whole lot of renewable energy, Denmark has so much, what, they, we spend 14 times as much time each year in power outages per person here than in Denmark. Like they just have a vastly much more, reliable grid, reliable supply of power to the end user. Germany also very highly reliable. And, you know, when I look at the cause of what's actually causing the outages in the United States, it's over and over again, it's overhead power lines, whether at the distribution level or at the transmission level, power lines go down. And it's kind of crazy that we, you know, I, I have some friends who are Europeans and they, they, when they first came here, they looked at these overhead power lines and they thought, oh, that's so quaint. This is like a village back home, you know. Because well, we don't bury our power lines, it just seems yeah. like we've opened ourselves up to problems.
2: Yeah, I think they have the odd advantage that they had a lot of infrastructure destroyed during the war, so a lot of what they rebuilt is more modern. We've had cases here where in Palo Alto, a Mylar balloon caused an outage <laughs> that lasted for hours. So that's extremely vulnerable. And the thing about a microgrid and locally sited energy, and of course, storage added to the mix, which really helps with the reliability issue is that it brings other benefits to communities. You know, communities are seeking this because of the resilience. They're seeing the really urgent resilience need, but it also brings a lot of economic and environmental benefits. You're keeping dollars in the community. You're bringing jobs into the community. We have statistics on our website about how much every 20 megawatts of solar will bring to a community, and it's it's really great. And in addition, locally sited energy means you don't have to build as much uh, transmission infrastructure. So in California in the I think you know you've probably written about this. We
1: have covered this the huge money savings that are coming to consumers. 2.6 billion
2: in savings in the 2017 to 2018 planning process because of distributed energy and energy efficiency and and rooftop solar
1: and batteries and efficiency basically just wiped out a huge bill for consumers yeah and and i think that that is a really exciting part of how the power system is evolving certainly and you know as much as i like large solar plants they don't do that
2: (laughs) yeah i mean we're not against (laughs) centralized energy either you know there's a place for that But distributed local energy is really key. And, you know, when you say rooftop solar, a lot of people might think about houses, but there's a lot of commercial scale solar potential. We do these solar siting surveys and we find huge solar siting potential in densely packed urban areas. And a lot of it, probably about 75 percent, is on parking lots and parking structures. So this is you know, unused roof space that could be used and to help the whole community and bring resilience to communities.
1: Or just underutilized space. I think carport solar is so interesting because you've taken an area, I mean, our dependence on the automobiles has really led to some unfortunate land planning decisions. But we have all this real estate where we're going to be putting cars. It's a benefit to the cars to have cover over them. It just seems like Something of a no-brainer. Obviously, it's more expensive to build. But, you know, to get to this resiliency idea. So mm-hmm. I grew up in the Santa Cruz Mountains outside of California. We regularly had power outages. We would have mudslides. The power would go out. We had lights. We had kerosene lamps. And, you know, the, the thing that everybody did for electricity was a diesel generator. Right? Yes. Like, that's the thing that you did. And I understand that some of the early microgrids were diesel-backed. So, can you talk a little bit about the transition from diesel-backed microgrids, diesel genset, basically, or whatever, petroleum genset-backed microgrids, moving over to the solar and storage microgrid? Can it really meet the same needs that diesel can?
2: Yes, and and more, because um, most facilities only have enough diesel on site for two days. Now, we've had outages lasting a week or more, obviously in Puerto Rico even longer, and When there's a disaster, it can be really hard to bring in more diesel. The roads are closed. You know, it's expensive as well. Um, So you can basically do the same thing with renewable energy. And, you know, an interesting thing that's happening now in um, California is that the utilities are planning these resilience zones with what they call pre-installed interconnection hubs, which are basically like a little microgrid area where they're going to roll in diesel generators. You could just as easily roll in solar plus storage. Now, the microgrids that we design are all renewable. However, if a facility has diesel already and they don't want to get rid of it, we will just add renewables to that with the hope of eventually phasing out the diesel as that gets older and you know no longer operational.
0: All right, Warriors. So you know that high demand charges can ruin a good commercial solar cell. But what if you could offer your clients 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth? That's right, a tenth. Hence, the cost of installing a battery you can now do that with demand x a new demand charge reduction software from extensible energy check it out at extensibleenergy.com and read the three case studies on how demand x significantly reduced demand charges and increased ri without batteries as a suncast listener you can also get a free demand charge analysis at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast what do you have to lose Crunch the numbers and see for yourself how Extensible Energy's inexpensive Demand X software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. Hey Warrior, I bet you're already aware of CPS America's dominance in CNI with over 30% market share. But did you realize that they also shipped 500 megawatts of utility scale 1500 volt inverters in 2019? Their unique design flexibility makes them the only company with the ability to eliminate DC combiners in the field. And their DC to medium voltage balance of system bundle allows for as much as 40% reduction in costs. But wait, there's more. With string inverters increasingly used in utility applications, CPS is infusing smart tech innovations to drive down costs along the value chain from DC generation to AC delivery. If you'd like to find out, What other cost stack reduction CPS can bring to your C&I and utility projects? Head to mysuncast.com forward slash CPS.
1: I remember covering at one point uh, when I still did global coverage, a mine in South Africa that had this solar storage diesel combination. So they still had the diesel there Mm -hmm. as an option. But yeah, again, that's not going to, you're going to run out of diesel. And you're going to have a hard time getting more diesel if it's a serious disaster. But at the same time, Uh, How do you need to size the solar and the battery to make sure that you're able to get a relatively uninterrupted power supply, say, if you have critical loads like at a hospital?
2: Well, yeah, every facility is going to have a different size of critical load, and obviously a hospital will have more. We found that in general, a critical load is about 10% of the overall load. So we size our microgrids to keep that ten percent, you know, or whatever the facility decides is their critical load, going indefinitely, and then a lot of the load can still, you know, usually one hundred percent of the load can be kept going twenty five percent of the time. So you have benefits the rest of the time as well. So you really just have to size it right. And the great thing about a commercial scale facility is they may have demand charges, so you can recoup a lot of the cost just by shaving off your demand charges, which can in many cases for a commercial facility be 30 to 50 percent of their power bill. So that's already a big savings. And that makes the economics of the solar plus storage much more feasible. And we're also doing this really exciting value of resilience project where, you know, everyone understands the significant value of renewables driven resilience, but no one's put a dollar figure on that. So we're working to do that So that will make facilities more inclined to actually take the leap when they see that the economics work out.
1: You know, and this is interesting that we're talking about these facilities. Uh, When I first started off as a journalist, I was a radio journalist, and one of the stories that I covered was uh, what happened to to Charity Hospital in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Mm -hmm. Katrina and the flooding. Now, they did have diesel generators, and fortunately, they had only been able to get the diesel generators and the fuel that they needed because they applied for a counterterrorism grant through the Department of Homeland Security. In the words of the gentleman who got the grant, we told him, Well, what if Al Qaeda blows up the levees? <laughs> <laughs> so I always think about hospitals when I think about resilience yeah. because I think about, okay, people literally died at charity because they could not get power. And it was a, it was a big deal and because they only had so much power and they had to correct, prioritize you know keeping people alive some you know life support obviously hospitals are the places that most need this kind of resilience where it literally is a life or death matter what are some other locations that are really important that where where this resilience has this where there's this intense need for resilience that are really ripe for microgrids
2: well in california fire stations You're seeing a lot of microgrids at fire stations. Um, There's one that Gridscape deployed in Fremont, California, that's already operating. And the first part of our um, Goleta Load Pocket Community Microgrid Initiative, which is in the Santa Barbara area, and that's an area that's really transmission vulnerable. They only have one set of transmission lines going into the area, and they're very disaster prone. They already experienced a really bad wildfire that then resulted in a debris flow in Montecito, and we're working with the fire department there, and they're very on board. We should have something deployed there early next year, in fact. That is a critical facility, super critical for many California communities. And then you have your water infrastructure, so we're also working with the water department. That's going to be big in California as well. And then schools, because they're often sheltering facilities for a community. So we're, we're always looking at what are the critical facilities for a community, and it's not just the hospitals.
1: Right. Of course. That's those are great insights. Thank you. Yeah, it seems like California there's because of the wildfires there seems like there's a particularly intense need and interest to do this sort of work right now. Would you say that's accurate?
2: That is. And, you know, one thing I've been hearing in other parts of the conference is that some people are running into issues with communities not wanting solar sited in their community. And we've run into that in some places too, but we have communities coming to us, like the city of Calistoga came to us seeking the resilience of a microgrid. And we're working right now on a feasibility study with them to identify seven sites where we could put a microgrid because they're concerned about the public safety power shutoffs, which I mentioned. You know, The utilities are cutting off the power, and they've already experienced a 48-hour shutoff, which was really detrimental to their tourist industry. So they really want to get this going quickly. So there's a lot of communities that are really on board with this now.
1: Sure, sure. You know, whenever I look at California, I think that California is ground zero for the development of the energy future that we're seeing. And uh, unfortunately, it seems as though natural disasters are a part of that with climate change accelerating uh, or with the ongoing increase in temperatures due to climate change. Uh, with the ongoing increased incidence of severe weather, not just fires but hurricanes, bigger, more, worse hurricanes every year. It seems as though this is something that's definitely going to spread. have you Have you done any yes. work in the south in the u s south um, on the Atlantic uh, Atlantic?
2: No, we haven't Gulf? done work there. We've done some work in New York. Um, we did a little work with Puerto Rico. but the thing about all the community microgrids that we're designing, is that we intend for them to be showcases and models that can be replicated anywhere. We can't deploy all the community microgrids in the country. We really want to share our learnings. And in fact, one thing we've done is created an electrification and community microgrid ready document with guidelines for anyone to use to to prepare for this future. We want to share what we learn so that this can be replicated anywhere. Like you said, it's not just California, it's not just areas with wildfires, there's a need for resilience everywhere. You know, you're hearing about resilience everywhere you go. So it's unfortunate that that's what it takes for, to make this happen. You know, we have, we have what we need. We have the technology. I remember reading a story in the LA Times where I think someone from the CPUC was saying, we don't have the technology for microgrids. We have it. It can be improved for sure. But what we need are, is the will. We need the policies and market mechanisms to allow this to happen and to proliferate community microgrids. And that is what we're working to advance at the same time as we're designing and staging these actual deployments.
1: You know, when we see, when we see these things that are obviously improvements for the grid, that are obviously, you know, they're cleaner. In this case, there's much greater resilience offered. The question often becomes economics. The question becomes who's pay- yes. who pays for it. So it's obviously to size solar and storage to support a community during... This time, that's going to be an additional cost. Uh, who typically pays? Who pays in Goleta? Who plays in Calistoga? It, it is an additional
2: cost, and you know, one thing that's important is that every time one of these gets deployed, we learn from that, and the costs come down. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, we we have different financing mechanisms, and what we usually do is a PPA, mm-hmm. power purchase agreement, because. The fire department doesn't really want to deal with this. They they don't want to buy a microgrid. They don't want to actually deal with the solar installation. So we have a third party. You know we work with developers. We're not a developer ourselves, but we work with developers and implement these PPAs to finance these deployments. And in some cases, you know we're getting grants. Um, it could be grant, a grant from the California Energy Commission, or grants from foundations. In Montecito, we're getting some help from the community because there are some wealthy people in that community who can, you know, help make this happen, and then help us learn from that and make the next deployments cheaper. But that's also why we're doing our value of resilience work, to show that there is significant value that can be derived from this and, and really take people through the economics. You know, once when we actually do deployments, we worked with a large software company in the Bay Area. And, you know, we we had a spreadsheet that showed them that they would recoup their costs within a couple of years. So these things are becoming more affordable, and there are a lot of different financing mechanisms that you can use.
1: Sure. So your basic model is you come in and consult on the microgrid, and then if the community wants the fire station, the city, whoever wants to move forward with this, you contract a developer, and then they sell, then they yeah. write a PPA.
2: Yeah. To and the city,
1: to the fire department, to to the entity that's, that's driving.
2: Right, and it's also important to realize that every community microgrid involves a number of stakeholders. So a lot of what we're doing is coordinating all the stakeholders and bringing everyone on board. There's the municipality, there's the utility, you have to get utility cooperation in most cases. There's the financiers, there's the developers, probably some others I'm forgetting. So it's a wide range of... Stakeholders that you need to get together to collaborate on this, and that's a lot of what we do is help facilitate that.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Rosanna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
2: Thank you so much. There's so much to say about this. I'm really glad to be able to share with you.
1: I know. I feel like it's been a half an hour, and we've just scratched the surface. Yes. But we have another guest. I can see him out here. So, this is Christian Rosalind, U.S. editor of PV Magazine. We're here at the Podcast Lounge, sponsored by Radiant Reet and produced by Suncast Media. It's September 26th, and I've been talking with Rosanna Francescato from the Clean Coalition on microgrids. Over and out.
0: All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, but I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today remember you are what you listen to thanks again for showing up solar warrior it's half the battle